chapter. Now, as I said this week, we are starting a brand new series on the topic of Christmas. We're calling it Presence. And the reason I, I decided to do this series is because we live in such a screwed up, politically correct society. Uh, I'm telling you, Christmas, Christmas is in trouble. And if we're not careful, it could actually become an endangered species. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and if you don't believe that, you've already bought into the lie, maybe without even realizing it. Because all you have to do is watch TV, read the ads, go to the mall, and, and you'll discover everybody's petrified to even say Merry Christmas anymore, right? It's all about happy holidays, right? So now I'm just honorary enough that when somebody says happy holidays to me, I say maybe, maybe. But it will definitely be a Merry Christmas because 2,000 years ago, God took on flesh and he came and dwelled among us so we could experience his presence. Merry Christmas. And I just kind of leave them there. Yeah, you leave them there with their face hanging out, right? So in this series, we're going to talk about the difference that it makes in our life because God's presence is here with us. But I want to begin this weekend by making a couple of confessions because I think as we go into the holidays, we really need to try to clear the air. You know, so many families, they have tension and trouble because there's just things, there's elephants in the room. So a couple of things I want to share with you to get off my chest. First of all, uh, I need to confess that I have been way too hard on the University of North Carolina. Let me just get it out there. Uh, I'm not even going to mention how they ran into the big juggernaut of Duke University football yesterday. But I've been way too hard on the university, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you guys know we have a brand-new granddaughter, and uh, Friday a week ago when she was leaving the hospital, they, were, they checked her heart, and they said, mm, we kind of hear something there. It could be a heart murmur, you know. Uh, bring her back tomorrow. So they took, my kids took her back, and they said, yeah, it's getting a little louder. And so last Sunday morning, actually, before I came out to speak, him at uh, Solomon, him and I think I saw you come in here this morning, uh, he's a cardiologist through the UNC healthcare system. And I asked him if he would come in early and, and, and check our, our granddaughter. So he was back in the green room over here, and he's listening. He says, yeah, it's pretty loud. And, and of course, my son and my daughter-in-law, they're a little nervous because we're going into Thanksgiving week, and they're thinking we would really like to get them into a cardiologist and have this all checked and the test run, those kinds of things. And it's like it'll never happen Thanksgiving week. So in the green room, Hemet got on the phone with the pediatric cardiologist at the University of North Carolina Hospital, and by 9.20 Monday morning, they were in the office, they were having the test runs. On top of that, the doctors gave my son their cell phone numbers. He said, if you have any questions, any problems, 85%, yeah, there's a couple of holes in the heart, 85%, they'll take care of themselves. We'll cross the other bridge when we get to it. But my son called me and says, Dad, these were some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. So I decided, you know what? Yeah, it's pretty well proven that they have a lot of criminals that play on their sports team. We get that. But you know what? You can't let that define the whole universities, right? So, so I, I apologize. I want to confess I've been too hard, and I'm, I'm going I'm to bury the hatchet at least during, during the Christmas season. And then uh, another confession I want to make is this. Sometimes when you talk to me, I zone out. Uh, I'm not really listening to you. And it's not, it's not because I'm not interested in what you're saying. Sometimes I'm just tired. You know how some people say they work seven days a week. I actually work seven days a week. Some days I'm just tired and I don't have the energy to really listen to what you're saying. Uh, sometimes it's because of my ADD. I mean, I'll be honest. If we're outside under the portico talking and a squirrel runs by, it's done. I mean, you might as well leave because I've checked out. Sometimes it's actually your fault. I mean, you'll come to my office and I'll sit down and you'll say, I just want you to know this is going to take a while. And my spirit just goes, because mm, I don't have the attention span to listen for a while. So sometimes I don't always listen to you. Then there are other times I know it's in my best interest to listen. 
Uh, it was three years ago this month, I had both my knees replaced at the same time. Some of you remember that. My left knee got infected. They had to go in and take it out, put a new one in. I went through 42 days of IV antibiotics, 21 days of oral antibiotics. But during that time, I got my first infectious disease doctor. Everybody ought to have one of those in life. Everybody ought to get the opportunity to go to the waiting room of an infectious disease office. I mean, it's like the waiting room for Beetlejuice, if you've ever seen that movie. You know what I'm talking about? But I got to tell you, when you start hearing words like amputate, all of a sudden you realize, wow, it would really be in my best interest to listen to my doctor and do exactly what he says. Maybe for some of you, it's when you're in college and you're kind of daydreaming or you're on your smartphone and all of a sudden the professor says, hey, listen up, this will be on the final, right? Something about that, it gets your attention. You may even do something drastic like take notes, okay? Because, you know, you, you, that's going to be important. Or maybe, you know, have you ever been maybe working around the house, the TV's on, you're not really paying attention, maybe you're emptying the dishwasher or you're cooking, and then you hear this, we interrupt our regularly scheduled program. And all of a sudden, that gets your attention. You think, this is probably something I should listen to. In the very same way, this is what we're going to learn in this series. When God speaks to us, that should get our attention. Because when God speaks to us, it's not like Judge Judy speaking to us, okay? It's not like Ryan Seacrest speaking to us. When God is speaking to us, he's talking to us about things that really, really matter. I mean, maybe he wants us to know that there's a way that we can be reconciled back to him and we can have a relationship with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know about that. Maybe he wants to speak to us about how we can be forgiven and how we can experience joy and peace and purpose in this life right now. And then we die. And when we die, we can live eternally with him. If God wants to talk about that, that's something that I want to hear. But whenever God speaks, it's in our best interest to listen. And maybe you didn't know it. But when Jesus was born that first Christmas, he became God's voice. He became God's megaphone to the world. This is how the writer of Hebrews put it. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screens. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Now get this phrase. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, when God sent his son into the world that first Christmas, you got to understand that baby that was in a manger, that baby was the reflection of God's glory. It was as if God said, you know, if you want to know what I'm like, you just look at Jesus. He is the exact imprint of my being. In other words, if you're curious as to how God feels about little children, all you have to do is go to the Gospels and, and read the stories about the times that parents would want to bring their children to Jesus and his friends, the disciples, they were like security, like, no, 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 he's too important, he's too busy, he doesn't have time for children. But do you remember Jesus' response? He says, hey, let the kids come to me. And maybe he held them on his lap, maybe, but he spent time because he loved the children. If, if, if you want to know how God feels about suffering, I mean, that's a big one because often we'll say, how can there be a God if there's so much suffering in the world? If you want to know what God feels about suffering, then just go to John chapter 11 and read the story of the time that Jesus' friend Lazarus died. And, and it tells us in John chapter 11, verse 35, as Jesus stood in front of the tomb, having received that information, it said, Jesus wept. He was moved with emotion over the suffering of Mary and Martha. 
If you want to know how Jesus feels about how when we blow it, then just turn over a few pages to John chapter 8, and it's that familiar story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and the religious leaders bring her to Jesus, and, 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 and they, they did it to test him, but really they wanted to stone her, and, and what was the classic response from Jesus? Hey, if you don't have any sin in your life, you go ahead and stone her. You throw the first stone, and they all kind of wandered off, and, and, and we're left with this encounter between Jesus and this woman, and then Jesus says this, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now I'm telling you this because in our day, there is an amazing amount of ignorance about who Jesus is and what his teachings are all about. In fact, I would really encourage you during this holiday season, just pick up a Bible, find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the very beginning of the New Testament, and just read the story of Jesus. Maybe you want to start with the Gospel of Luke. It's the story of his birth. Because if you really want to know God, God says, then just get to know my son, Jesus. This is what you'll discover as you begin to read. Although he's wise, he's not just a wise person. Although he was a wonderful teacher, he's not just a wonderful teacher. You'll discover that Jesus is God come to earth. You'll discover that he is the son of God, that he is equal with God. You will discover from John chapter one that he has eternally existed with the father and, and he left heaven to come and live on this earth in the flesh. It's what we, we call in theological circles as the incarnation. It's God became flesh, God with flesh, God with flesh on this earth. And when you begin to think about it that way, all of a sudden, this birth in Bethlehem that we sing carols and we celebrate and we decorate trees and put all kinds of obnoxious decorations in our yard, all of a sudden it takes a whole new meaning because we realize Christmas is all about God with a body, God present with us. By the way, I always wondered what it would have been like 2,000 years ago to have been around when Jesus came. But what if God were here this morning in a human body. Doo, 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 doo. I mean, how weird would that be, right? In fact, what if God was sitting in the chair next to you right now? All-knowing, all-powerful God, eternal God, sitting right next to you in the flesh. Look at the person beside you. Elizabeth, look at John. Yeah, look at, look at the person. Have you considered the possibility today that that person beside you might be God? It may have occurred to that person. In fact, maybe you've used the phrase, who do you think you are, God? I mean, you know, so, but look at them for a second. Look at them. Do they look all-knowing, you know? Do they look all-powerful? Look at them. Do they look like they've been around for all eternity? Be careful with that one if you're sitting beside your wife, you know what I'm saying? But when you think about it in those terms, it's not too hard to imagine the shock. It's not too hard to imagine the confusion in Jesus' day. You see, that's why people didn't get the Christmas story then. That's why they missed the message then. That's why people don't get it now. It doesn't make any sense. It seems totally illogical. I mean, if God of the universe wants to make a trip to earth, why doesn't he come with a lot of fanfare, you know? Why wouldn't he, like, you know, hire our tech team? Smoke, moving lights, lasers, maybe some pyrotechnics, right? I'll tell you why. It's because God looked at these little, broken, ragged creatures that he had created in his image. He looked at the mess that they had made, not only of their lives, but of this world. And he says, somehow, 
I got to communicate to them, even though they're, they're a mess, they're a disaster. Somehow, I've got to communicate to them that I still love them, that I still want to be in a relationship with them. How do I do that? And how do I do it and keep them from being overwhelmed by who I am and keep them from being overwhelmed by my presence? And God thought about it and God decided, you know, there's really only way. And it's going to require Jesus to set aside his crown, to set aside his robe, to set aside his glory and come to this earth so that he could be present with us so that we could experience his presence. No one described it better than the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible there. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Philippians chapter 2, we'll put it up on the screens, but Paul said this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And for those of us, he's writing to Christians, that tells us right away it's kind of a high standard. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, although he was equal with God, he was willing to let it go and not hold on to it. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, when Jesus came to this earth, it wasn't just a quick flyby. It's, it's not like the politicians when they're trying to get elected. You know how they want to identify with the people? And you'll see on the news, a politician shows up in their suit, you know, and maybe they take off their jacket and put on a hard hat and some goggles in a factory or they'll drive a tractor for two or three minutes and all the photo ops, and then they get back in their limo and they're off to their $50,000 a plate dinner, right? That's not how Jesus, that's not his style. When he came to this earth, he was totally vested. He took on the form of a man. He put on flesh. And he didn't just do it for an hour or two. He didn't just do it for a month or two and then take the, the express lane back to heaven. He was here for 33 years. Now, here's the problem. The problem is since we've only lived on earth, we don't know how big of a deal it was to leave heaven and come to earth. We, we, we're pretty sure it was a step down, but we've never been to heaven, so we don't know how big of a step down it was. So I want to try to put it in perspective for you. Every one of us, if we're honest, we get accustomed to a certain, a certain standard of living, a certain standard of traveling. You know, when we travel, there's a certain standard of accommodations that we expect. And it's really, really uncomfortable for us if we find ourselves in a situation where we have to step down and comfort our expectations. I'll give you an example. Today is December 1st. It was 20 years ago today. This is my anniversary. 20 years ago today that Laura and I got here from California to start Hope Community Church. What you may not have known is before we came here and when I pastored in California, I sang in a Southern Gospel Quartet. And the families that actually moved here with me to start the church, we were the group that sang together and it was our families. And we did about 10 recordings and we used to travel around and do concerts and all. And I'll never forget, we were up in the northern part of California in the little city of Ukaipa. And uh, we were singing at a church, and lots of times it was a love offering. It was whatever they could afford to pay us, you know, and, and uh, we didn't want to spend that on hotels. And so we would often stay in the homes of people uh, that opened their homes to us. So Laura and I pulled up to a home. It was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We got out of the car. The, fam, the couple came to the front door. They opened the front door, and this is what we could hear coming out of the house. And Laura got right back in the car, locked the doors. It took about 15 minutes to coax her out again. And, but, but what we discovered was... These people had a, a parrot <laughs> that their kids had brought home from the Amazon when they were missionaries there. And you know how parents get stuck with everything? Okay, they got the parrot. Now, this is what's funny. 
we sat down at the table for a cup of coffee and some dessert when we got there. It was late at night, and they explained to us how the parrot is very jealous. And anytime they speak to someone else, the parrot would go, ah! So if Laura and I would begin to talk, it would go, ah! You know, just staring at us. Now, this is where it got even creepier. We got to spend the night in the room with this parrot, okay? <laughs> and they draped a, like a blanket or a cloth over it. So, but, you know, you could see that thing under the bottom of the case because there's a little gap just giving us the old stinky eye, you know, looking at us. And, but here... I'll never forget this. We, we folded out the sofa and the bed was already made, which you think, that's cool. We don't have to make the bed. But have you ever been somewhere and you crawled in the sheets and you thought, ooh, someone has been here before us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a little bit of sand, a little bit of grime, things that shouldn't be there, you know? I mean, that was a big step down. We don't like those situations. But here's the thing, because we've only known earth, we have no idea what it was like. We don't give much thought to what it meant for Jesus to have to leave heaven and come here. But you got to understand the sounds of heaven, the smells of heaven, the splendor of heaven. That's all Jesus has ever known. But when he comes to planet Earth, the first thing he sees is a barn. The first thing he smells, manure, urine. The first thing he hears Maybe a cow mooing or a rooster crowing, right? I mean, this is a real wake-up call. This is a real step down coming from heaven to this. You got to think about it this way. Jesus, his memory of heaven is angels hovering around the throne. And the Bible tells us there were angels that were created that have the full-time job of doing nothing but singing. And they sang constantly. He gets to heaven or he gets to earth. There's none of that. He's laying in a feeding trough. There's some cows, a few donkeys. There's a, there's a lady that might be his mom. There's a guy who might be his dad. There are a couple of strangers around, but he's helpless. He's a baby. I mean, think about it this way. When Jesus was in heaven, he spoke and the world came into existence. He had unlimited power at his disposal. Now he's lying in a feeding trough. Now he's depending on his mom to change his diapers. Now he's depending on his mom to feed him on time. He is completely powerless. He is completely dependent. I mean, this is a serious step down. This is, this is a culture shock. Those of us who are human, that's, that's most of us, right? We only know what it's like to be human. We're used to being hungry. We're, we're used to being tired. We're, we're used to being sick and maybe having a runny nose. We're used to that. We're used to getting elbowed at the mall. We're used to someone shaking their fist to us in the church parking lot. We're kind of used to all of that. But imagine all you've ever known is heaven. And you become a human being and you come to this earth and not just any human. You know Jesus grew up as a Jew, don't you? Even in the first century, Jews were widely discriminated against. Have you guys seen Duck Dynasty? See, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a Jew. He was a Jew from Galilee, right? <laughs> I mean, those are like professional rednecks. You know what I'm saying? Galileans were the professional rednecks of the first century. I mean, they, 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 they were like the original Duck Dynasty. That's why when Peter was warming his hands by the fire, when Jesus was being tried, he spoke and they said, hey, 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 we recognize that accent. You're a Galilean. They, so all of a sudden you got Jesus, not only a Jew, a Jew from Galilee, and all of this discrimination, he's never experienced anything like that. But when he comes to earth, he takes all the hits, all the blows that we take. For the first time, he experiences what it feels like to be so tired, you can't take another step. 
For the first time, he understands what it means to be nauseated. He'd never felt that before. He felt pain when he hit his thumb with a hammer as a carpenter. It doesn't stop there. Because he doesn't just become a man. Paul tells us he became a servant. Now, we lift up the banner of serving around hope. We, we talk about you'll be blessed if you serve. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve others. Jesus set the example by washing feet of his disciples. And he says, as I've done to you, you ought to do to one another. You ought to serve one another. We're really big on serving. We even give awards for serving. But let's put it in perspective. Go home this weekend. Ask your kids what they want to be when they grow up. Not a, one of them is going to say a servant, are they? In fact, if they do, you're going to get them into counseling. Because you're like, man, no, you don't have to be a servant. You can, you know, it's the American dream, right? In heaven, Jesus, he's a full-fledged member of the Trinity. Everybody's saying, we adore you, we worship you, you are wonderful, not on planet Earth. The very people he created, the very people that he spoke into existence, you know what, you know what they're doing while he's teaching? They're rolling their eyes. They're thinking he's a crackpot, that he's a nutcase. Did you know that his family thought he was a lunatic? You say, family, yeah. I mean, I had to do is read the Gospels. You'll discover that after Jesus was born of a virgin, Joseph and Mary had more children. Jesus had several brothers. He had a couple of sisters. One of his brothers, James, a half-brother, wrote the book of James. We're going to be studying it in January and February. Let me show you how they felt about Jesus. Maybe you haven't seen this before. Mark chapter 3, verse 20 says, Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, see, there's his family, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. His own family thought he was crazy. He was an embarrassment to the family. Get him out of the public eyes. Let's hide him somewhere, right? It doesn't stop there. Philippians 2, 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, let's be honest. Christmas story, this is a strange story. So I understand why people don't get it. I understand why so many people have so many questions, especially if, if you've ever read John's account. John begins, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and, and it's interesting, the Greek word there is in the beginning that never really had a beginning. So we can't go back that far. In the beginning was the word, John's favorite description of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John begins to talk about how he came to this world, and he brought light into this world. And no matter how dark the world was, it couldn't overcome the light. It couldn't overpower the light of Jesus Christ. And then he said this in John chapter 1, verse 14. John says, as I think back, see, John wrote the, wrote the gospel years after he had actually been with Jesus. And he writes back, and he says, this is what I remember. When God became flesh and he was born in Bethlehem and he lived and dwelt among us, this is what John says, I remember, we beheld his glory. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I look at Philippians chapter 2 and I think, where's the glory in this story, right? In fact, glory, if you look at the story, is precisely what Jesus didn't have. He was born in a manger. He was raised in obscurity. He was, he was, he was trained as a carpenter and he's killed as a criminal. I mean, if that's glory, I'll take a pass, right? I don't want any glory, right? But from heaven's perspective, it may have been an odd kind of glory, but it was his glory. 
And when he showed up on earth that first Christmas in all of his glory, you got to understand that his presence came so that our lives could be changed forever. 800 years before Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 wrote this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. I just met somebody as they were coming in today and they said they're finishing up their master's in counseling. And I said, yeah, it's not easy to be counselor, you know. It's, it's, it's tough to be a good counselor, much less a wonderful one. It is really, really hard to listen patiently and to give wisdom for life. Trust me, I know. There are people that come into my office and, and their lives are so messed up and sometimes their situation is so complicated. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start. I don't have a clue what to say. And I know that really makes you want to come to me for counseling, but, uh, but you probably shouldn't, to be honest with you. But as you think about that, some of you are in a situation right now where you need wisdom. Isaiah says, you know, a child's going to be born. See, that's our perspective. That's the baby, the shepherds, the angels. A child will be born. A son will be given. That's the father giving his only begotten son, right? And he says when he comes, he wants to be not just a counselor. He wants to be a wonderful counselor. He'll, he'll listen and he'll never lose patience. He'll never be distracted. He will give you wisdom, never bad advice. Some of you, as you sit here right now, you're facing decisions that will determine your future. Maybe right now you're in the process of, of assessing a relationship, a relational commitment. Maybe it's a huge financial decision. Maybe it's a decision that's going to, you're going to have to uproot your family and, and re relocate to another area of the country or maybe even the world. And you realize, man, a wrong decision could totally mess up my life. Right now, some of you, you're, you're experiencing that pain. You're living in that tension. This is what Isaiah wanted you to know. Jesus Christ is present. He is knocking at the door of your life. And he's saying, you know what? If you'll let me, I'll be a wonderful counselor. And you can pour out your world to me. You can pour out to me, and I will guide you every step of the way, and I will give you wisdom, and I will get you exactly where I want you to be if you'll just let me be your wonderful counselor. Isaiah 9, 6 goes on to say that Jesus came so that we could have a mighty God. Some of you, if you're honest, you need a mighty God this weekend. Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you have small children. Maybe you have inherited the task of raising those children all by yourself, and you don't know how you're going to make it. Forget Christmas. You don't know how you're going to pay the rent. You don't know how you're going to keep the lights on. You don't know how you're going to put food on the table. Maybe the doctor has recently given you a bad report, some bad news, and right now emotionally and physically you're just hanging on by a thread. Maybe it's a divorce. I got home last night and I got a text from a friend of mine and he was at the Saturday evening service and he seemed just a little bit down, but he texted me last night and he said, I really needed your message because right now I really, really need a mighty God, an everlasting father, a wonderful counselor because he told me his wife and he says, she left me yesterday and he's right in the middle of it, right? Some of you, just like my friend, you're in a situation situation right now that is way beyond your ability to control. I want you to understand as we get into this series, Jesus is present. 
It's not just about 2,000 years ago. He is present and he's knocking at the door of your life and he's saying, let me be a mighty God for you. He's saying, aren't you tired of trying to do it all in your own strength? Aren't you tired of trying to carry burdens that you just were never designed to carry? And then Isaiah 9, 6 doesn't stop. He says, when he comes, he'll be an everlasting father, you know? Some of you this weekend, you're surrounded by all these people, but you're still all alone. And it's just something about the holidays. It's hard to be alone. Days are bad. Nights are worse. It seems like everything we struggle with emotionally is amplified during the holidays. If you're a little bit depressed, you suffer from greater depression. If you've been rejected, you feel more of a sense of rejection. It's just something about the holidays. I want you to understand this year, Jesus is at the door of your life and he longs to be your everlasting father. He just wants to be, he wants to be a part of every moment of your life. Maybe you didn't have a dad that was there like that. He wants to walk through every step of your life with you. And he says, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna, I'm right, I'm here for you. And then he says, Isaiah 9, 6, that he's also the Prince of Peace. This has a lot of ramifications, but primarily it means that Jesus came to this earth to, to make peace between God and us, you know? We, we know the story. We were separated from God because of our sin. There's this huge chasm. There were things that we, we've all done that we know we shouldn't have done, and there's things that we didn't do that we probably should have done. And, and so we, we had this huge moral debt we could never repay. So Jesus said, okay, I'll do it. I will be the Prince of Peace. And he died on the cross, and he paid the debt that we could never pay so that our sins could be forgiven, and in being forgiven, we could be reconciled back to God. And for some of you this Christmas, Jesus is he's just saying, hey, listen, there's this gift of salvation. It's free. Won't you accept it? Forgiveness is free. Won't you accept it? Meaning and purpose for life right now is free. Won't you accept it? Eternity with me when you die, it's free. Don't, don't you want it? See, this is Christmas. This is the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas isn't a manger and a baby. You know, Jesus never once told us to celebrate his birth. The only thing he told us to celebrate was his death. He says, as often as you do this, as often as you take the bread and cup, do it in remembrance of me. He never told us to get together and throw a big shindig and get trees. and give, He never told us to celebrate his, his birth. That's not really the story of Christmas. It's the story of our opportunity to experience God personally in our lives. It's the story that the God of the universe made his way to this place, to this earth, to your chair, and he's knocking on the door of your life, and he says, I want to be present in you, and I want to be present for you. I want to end this weekend by just taking a couple of minutes and maybe give you a chance to listen to God. I want to just invite you just to bow your head and just close your eyes. And I'm going to pray here in just a second. I'm going to ask us just to, for a minute to be quiet and block out all the distractions, all the many things that you're thinking I got to do when I get out of here. And just, just if you just will block it out for a minute. Some of you right now, you have decisions to make. There are huge areas of confusion in your life. And Jesus is saying, hey, let me be your wonderful counselor. You know? Some of you are carrying burdens that are too heavy for any human to bear. And Jesus says, hey, I'm here. 
Will you just let me be a mighty God for you? For some of you, even though you're surrounded by all these people, as I said, you're alone. Maybe you're, maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're separated from your family. Maybe you're married, but you're feeling separated in your heart. God's like, man, won't you let me be your everlasting father? Let me, let me just wrap my arms around you and love you as my child. Some of you, you've missed Christmas every year of your life because you've never allowed Jesus to come into your life. You've never received the gift of forgiveness and of new life. You just stubbornly keep the door shut. Let me tell you something. Jesus is a gentleman. He's patient, but he, he won't force his way into your life. He won't barge in. He'll only come in if you invite him. I want you to understand that first Christmas, the king of the universe set aside his crown and his robe and he became like one of us. And he, he said, I did it so I could be your prince of peace. I want you to just kind of stop with all the stubbornness and open the door. Father, this is my prayer today. Meet us where we are because we're all over the place. We're all over the place. Some of us, we look at our lives and they seem so perfect. We're like, we don't need anything. Oh, I don't know how we can be so deceived and so blind. But I ask that you fill us with your presence. I thank you for leaving heaven and stepping down into this dark, dark world with your light and with your offer of new life. Fathers, we begin this series and we begin this next 25-day journey together. May things begin to come into focus in our lives like never before. And may we exit this Christmas season realizing God is present. He's present in me. And it changes my life. In your name we pray. Your holy name we pray.